action. What do you mean, what are we going to do? Be funny. Amuse me. <laughs> what do I amuse you? Actually, Sometimes. it's funny you say that. Do you know what I have lined up for this intro? I can't wait to hear. I heard some great dad jokes today. <laughs> yeah. Hanging out okay. with the dads at, at drop off. <laughs> yeah. I figure for this episode, since we started out with a couple old timers talking about their boards. Yeah. A couple nerd engineers. <laughs> uh, yeah. I heard a great one just now and it kind of wet my whistle to hear more. Okay. You ready? Yeah. <clears throat> what does a mermaid clean their fins with? What does a mermaid clean their fins with? Um, tide? Yeah, good job. <laughs> nice. Uh, wow, you are, you are a dad. Okay. Why do frogs never park illegally? Why do frogs never park illegally? Um, oh, I give up. They're afraid of getting towed. <laughs> Why do spiders know everything? Um, web. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, you were close. They get their information from the web. From the web. Oh, I you had it. You had it. Why was six afraid of seven? Because. Seven, eight, nine. Yes. <laughs> wow, you're really good. That's at an these. old one. I've heard I'm that impressed. one. I've heard that one from a three year three year old before. Oh, okay. Good. <laughs> um what awards do dentists receive? Dentists receive the um I give up. Plaques. The plaque. <laughs> uh, why are shrimp bad at sharing? Shrimp are bad at sharing because they make great cocktail. <laughs> They're shellfish. <laughs> You're starting to hurt me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, dad jokes are they shellfish i guess they are shellfish because you can they are shellfish okay. yeah i think if i was a good jew i wouldn't be eating them boy <laughs> all right tell me why uh why do you have this this catalog of dad jokes in your possession uh well i heard i heard will farrell telling some funny ones in an interview and then I just decided to Google the best dad jokes no, for this intro. Really? There's yeah, there's hundreds. I mean, there's uh, hundreds and hundreds of bad jokes. This yeah, wasn't they're horrible. <laughs> I'm actually really bad at jokes. I have like none. I have one. I have horse walks into a bar. Bartender says, Hey, why the long face? <laughs> this is the one joke I've been telling for like twenty five years. I don't know any other ones. No, I've got yeah, I've got like three that I can remember. What's one? Um my favorite joke, which nobody else ever gets, is cop comes home from work. He's wiped out. He's worked double shift. He's just thinking about that one long neck beer in the fridge, unlocks the front door, walks through his living room, turns on the light in the kitchen, pops open the fridge. A 
clown jumps out of his refrigerator. And the uh-huh. cop says, whoa, <clears throat> I never expected to see you here. The clown says, I never expected to see you here. I don't get it either. Nobody ever gets it. <laughs> it's like my it's like how I find my fellow brethren somehow. Anybody I, thinks well, that's funny. Explain it to me. What are you talking about? I can't explain it. I just think it's hilarious. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I may have heard it on acid the first time. Yeah, it possibly. Sounds like it. Sounds possible. Like it. I bet Chris Pierce has a lot of good dad jokes. I bet he does. He definitely does. I would guarantee that he does. He's probably got a whole handful of them. A pocket full. Well, it was nice to chat with Chris Pierce. Yes, it was. Take a trip down memory lane. Yeah. Doc Hopper is one, like, you know, in my 14-year-old head, Doc Hopper is like one of the biggest bands in the world, you know? (laughs) I was like, wow, they draw this many people at the Down Under in New Brunswick. They're playing with Snapcase in Philly, you know, and they were like, uh, you know, locally, they were a benchmark group, you know, like one of the groups that when we were getting into it, were already established and people were looking forward to. We bring it up in this concert, that show they played at the University of the Arts in Philly, was insane. Still to this day, one of the craziest shows I've ever seen because the Cro-Mags were booked for it. Cro-Mags didn't show up. Right. So it was, I don't know if they didn't show up or they canceled. Like, I don't know the story behind it. But so there was like hundreds of people there who were like kind of pissed off and already were at the show and kind of were like just ready to go and like ready to do Chromag shit. Yeah. And then they got to sit through like Doc Hopper and Shades Apart, you know. And then I know 108 played and Snapcase did a Chromag song. And it's the first time I've seen a wall of death <laughs> where, you know, people are just like, and I remember just being like 14, 15, whatever I was at the time, just glued against the wall. Yeah. Just being like, what the fuck is going on? People are jumping off the balcony. And I believe that place got shortly shut down afterwards because someone got very hurt right. from someone jumping off the balcony. Right. <laughs> but that shit was wild, man. It was like that, uh, I don't know, it was right at that turning point where I think like the scene was going from, you know, dangerous to to kind of like a proxy mainstream thing, you right. know? Um And, but, you know, Chris, to his credit, man, he's like been playing in underground bands, recording underground bands with, you know, doing sound for underground bands like this entire time, you know, and just like completely dedicated to playing music, the creation of music, keeping music alive in the underground form, you know, like, like every aspect of punk rock legitimacy you want to give i think chris pierce checks a he's lot of a true boxes. punk warrior i think so yeah. you know <clears throat> but not like you know but we talk about this a lot in the podcast it's not liberty spikes and who you know kicks their legs up the highest like there has to be someone 
at some point in punk rock who's like the adult in the room to at least make the fucking thing go. <laughs> yes, it you know? does. It has to do Someone's got to bring a PA. Someone's <laughs> got to run a PA. Someone's got to be in a band. Someone's got, you know, like you can't just all be drunk and disorderly. Like there has to be somebody somewhere who has a bit of an organizer's spirit, you know? And right. I think Chris has really checked those boxes and I give him that as much, much credit as anybody, you know? And nice. it was interesting to find out more about his past and growing up in Maine, which, you know, for someone like me from New Jersey, I, you might as well grow up in like North Dakota. Like it's, you know, it's, to me, it's wild. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's more typically suburban than I imagine, but... <laughs> Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So it was, it was interesting to, to get into this one. Let's do that. It's going on I feel good. I'm going to start the recording in three, two, one, zero. Okay, now before Benny says anything, <laughs> how many I'm take this opportunity? We've just been troubleshooting, and you revealed that you're in a recording studio. Yeah. So let's spend 15 yeah. minutes and talk about that. Yeah. How many engineers does it take to change a microphone here? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that remind you know I do have a joke. How many producers does it take to change a light bulb? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But right, what's fish. next question? What studio are you in? Uh I am here in scenic Keensburg, New Jersey at uh Volume Four Studios. Uh okay. my my recording studio here. And you were you you said you're sitting in front of a console. Please tell us. Uh what's, I have a lovely uh Trident twenty four series console. Mm. Uh it's uh thirty two by twenty-four. It's uh it's an Nice big beast here. Uh, yeah, li- li- board. Lined with uh, English ash in the front. Uh, this console, actually, I saved from being used on Guns N' Roses' Chinese Democracy. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, okay. So it was, it was when I was back working at GC, uh, and uh, a friend of mine was getting me hooked up with the studio in L.A. that was selling this. So I had sent them a check, and the check had cleared... And it's it, this thing is huge, so they had to make a crate and build a crate around the console. Uh, so they were waiting to have that happen, and that was the time when Guns N' Roses was pissing away all the money doing Chinese Democracy. 
And apparently right. they needed to leave the studio and like move into a house and do like their own like, you know, Zeppelin style thing. So they just needed, uh, they needed any console that would have been like 24 track ready, you know, like 24 outs, whatever. So that, that was this. So they walked into the place that I bought it uh, in LA and they were like, hey, we want this. And the guy was like, <laughs> I had already dealt with them beforehand uh, on something else and I already didn't like them. So I said, nope, some guy in New Jersey already bought it. And they started oh. like, they started like throwing figures at him. And he said, nope, sorry, the, you know, the check's already cashed. Like it's, it's, it's on its way yeah. out. So he told me that after like, the fact. I mean, there's no way like Axel walked in there. Oh, definitely not. No, it was, it was definitely no. just one of their henchmen, but. Yeah. <laughs> um, wait, so, so it's possible that they would have finished that record sooner if not for your meddling. Uh, I'm I'm sorry world uh, I, guess. <laughs> I I didn't mean to thwart everyone from hearing Chinese democracy <laughs> or, or did I don't I think I've even, I don't know if I've ever heard it I've never heard it I think I've heard one song from it I, I remember I had a buddy who was like oh it's not that bad and like tried to make me listen to it and I was like I can't even get through one dude yeah, it's crazy. How how long did that record actually take to come out? It was like a decade, more than yeah. that. Right? Yeah, they were yeah. making it for a decade. Yeah, man, can you imagine <laughs> Pierce working on a record for a decade? Oh God, I would I would have I would have killed myself ten times over. Fid told me he's working on like one with like sixty songs on it. Oh yes, the the triple LP follow up yeah. to the double LP that he released a couple of years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I guess that's like Fid's Chinese democracy. Yeah, exactly. Well, we're, we're we're blasting through him though. He's he's working at a, an alarmingly quick pace. I can imagine. Yeah. So, how you doing, Chris Pierce? I'm doing good. I'm doing good now that now that we spent a year uh, in limbo trying to move the studio out of New Brunswick and uh, and in, into anywhere. At you know, after a while, so we found this space down here, and uh, now we're here in scenic Keensburg. What happened to the uh, New Brunswick space? Uh, everything on my side of the street where, where the studio was is essentially supposed to be renovated and turned into like a shopping mall and some other weird stuff, which is sort of strange since, uh, that whole strip on Jersey Ave is, is considered toxic from, from everything that I've ever read. So yeah, I'm not sure how they're going to build luxury apartments there, but, um, but our owners told us at the beginning of last year that we had to get out in like a month. So oh, shit. we scrambled and, you know, finished up the records that we were, you know, in the middle of making. And then we, uh, we were going to move into uh, the space that was the original recording studio that I had opened uh, when I first started back in 1997. This uh, is Technical Ecstasy? Yeah, the, the original TE space yeah, yeah. Uh, is now occupied half of it by uh, In the West studio. And our friend down there was told us, you know, you can come over here. That should be easy enough. And we were like, great, that's a, that seems awesome. And then we moved in there and found out that the ceiling was collapsing. And I think one room was filled with black mold. Oh, and there good. was all kinds of horrifying things going on there. So uh, we decided it was time to get out of New Brunswick. Yeah. It's a tough town to do anything. Yeah. it's The town does not <laughs> want anything remotely cool to happen there and it's sad no no if it's not johnson and johnson or ruckers building it everybody else is screwed right yep exactly yeah 
Uh, so lovely Keensburg. Did you ever consider the name Bay Rat Studio? <laughs> <laughs> I, no. I, I haven't heard that one yet, but uh, lots of people have had lots of things to say about where we were moving to. You know what? It's New Jersey. Everybody has something to say about everywhere, right? Oh, yeah. Like, I, which which is which I find very funny that, that people would yeah. be saying stuff. And I was like, well, you you live in a horrifying town, too. Like, what do you how, exactly. how, how can you possibly be putting down any anywhere? Like, unless yeah, unless you're saying, like, why would you move to Camden? That place is scary. Like, right. You know, everything else is pretty much equally horrifying. Well, it's when you run into those like local beefs, it'd be like. Oh, Keensburg, that place sucks. And it would be like someone from Hazlitt saying it. Yeah. You know? yeah. Oh, oh, I'm like, sorry. I'll cross the highway and everything will be immediately better. <laughs> exactly. So you're all set up there now? You're feeling good? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Everything is uh, is finally up and running. We, uh, I guess last month, I did the first full record down here and it uh, it, it turned out great. Awesome, man. The, uh, the, the Disneyland for shut ins is now reopened. <laughs> so. You know, like, what is your day-to-day like? I mean, are you are you working on studio stuff every day? Like, I, what, what do you... I do what's, a what's little... What's the normal morning of, of Chris Pierce like? <laughs> uh, I, I do a little bit of everything uh, between the studio and uh, playing shows. And sometimes I, I guest star work at a bar. Uh so I, I kind of do a little bit of everything, which kind of means my days are kind of mixed up all the time, sure. which is, which is the way that I like it. You know, yeah. it makes it so I can, makes it so I can take quick pickup gigs, you know, kind of doing anything on the sound production end of things. Right. And then I have a couple of regular things where, you know, I'm, I'm on the books working at a bar. So it, you know, it doesn't look like I'm a total degenerate, uh, tax wise. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Now, yeah. like, um, you're working at Ale and Witch, right? Yep. Still? Yes. Your your boy your boy Parker. I was asking him about some stuff for this, and he's been texting me for the last hour, pitching himself to be on the podcast. <laughs> he's like, oh, "Bro, you should interview me." <laughs> he's like, I'm like, <laughs> he's like, we could tell funny low end theory stories. I'm like, sure, me and you, if we yeah. want to talk yeah. to each other, yeah. no one interested at all. Uh, there's sure, there's probably tens that. of people that would be interested in that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't even know if we'd get that high. <laughs> he, uh, Parker um, just started coming in to the uh, open mic nights that happen every yeah. night. Yeah, can the you night. tell me about his stand-up? Uh, well, I didn't see the night that he debuted. I just heard about it afterwards. And apparently everyone said that it was, you know, it was really funny. He just kind of talked about, uh, you know, what he does and, you know, being a divorced guy and, dating and you know single dad stuff and uh and that went over well and he's he's come in a couple of nights since and there was one night a few weeks ago that he came in that there was there wasn't very many other uh comedians or uh, any crowd people there mm-hmm. and uh no one was really listening unfortunately yeah but i mean that happened that happens to all the uh the comedians yeah, you got to pay your dues when you pivot into a new creative industry. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, and and frankly, I I couldn't do that. I I wouldn't be able to stand no. up there without a guitar for three no. to six minutes just talking. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, without without oh. getting beat up, <laughs> without getting beat up. Yeah, everyone thinks I've had a couple. 
I've had to make like uh, wedding speeches a couple times. And when I do it, like I'm literally up there, I'm sweating. My fucking hands are shaking. I'm a, I'm a mess. And people are like, come on, you perform. I'm like, I don't perform like this. Yeah. I'm like, I'm very confident sitting behind my drums. Even when I'm not confident, I can put my hair down and hide. Oh, yeah. Uh, that, that, stuff. That's what symbols are for, man. Yeah. Like, like I got this barrier. Protection. I'm, I'm the closest to the emergency exit. <laughs> like all the good stuff, you know, I can't just get up there and talk. It's terrifying. Um, you know, you and Brad have other things in common too, that you are both New Englanders, New Englandites. Uh, oh yeah. Where yeah. You from? Uh I grew up in Maine. Wow. And then uh after after high school and once when Doc Hopper started, uh I moved down to Boston. So I was there for like six years. What part of Maine? Uh Gardner, which is like right below Augusta, the capital. Like okay. like an hour north of Portland. Right. That's like real Maine. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> so where's your accent? Did you ever have one? Uh, I'm sure I did. And it probably comes out more when I drink and, and if I'm with any of my other New England pals, but I, I've, I don't think I ever sounded that much. I mean, except for a few, you know, colloquialisms that I can't lose like wicked and some other things like that. Right. Right. I, I, yeah, but I, wicked I, is Boston. Too. Yeah. Yes, I, I feel like I feel like I just talk like a grumpy uh, New Jersey person who might have spent like a couple of summers in Bar Harbor. <laughs> yeah, see so, right I mean, there, I pronounced R's. I'm already speaking yeah, incorrectly yeah, from the name. Out. Yeah. You're already out. I mean, yeah. some Maine people I've heard literally sound like they're from England. It's crazy. Yeah, or like the it, the Yankee drawl, you know? Right. So yeah, the, you're, you're raising a. Accent. You're raising a child in in New Jersey, or you've essentially raised one yes. in New Jersey. Um, you know, like, are there like stark differences between growing up like in Maine, where you grew up, and and how how you raise like a kid around here? Um, well, he's growing up in Milltown, so okay. he's having his own version of living in a kind of sheltered town, even though sure, you know, outside the. Uh, the the boundaries of Milltown anarchy is breaking loose everywhere, but Milltown is still pretty uh pretty sheltered. Although he doesn't really take advantage of it, he's more of a video game sitting in his room type of kid right now. Okay. Where, whereas I was, I mean, any of the dumb shit that I used to do, I, I have no concerns that that my son is doing it. I mean, is it is it just an like? So what was your, you know, like um. What was the general nature of your upbringing? I mean, I never got into this with you. Like, 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 uh, you know, what were your your parents into? Like, what what was the what was the general gist of like how you grew up? Um, let's see, my mom was like an ex hippie, and my my parents had uh, separated when I was really young, so I kind of grew up with like two different households, like going back and forth. Okay, but it was cool. Like, there wasn't any. I didn't find it a bummer and neither did anyone else. There wasn't like any animosity between them. Uh, but, but, uh, my dad, uh, was like, he growing up for a while, he, he worked as a like machine fixer for like a, that, that company Pitney Bowes that does like, uh, postage machines and crap like yeah. that. Uh-huh. And then, uh, 
all of my uncles and my grandfather on the Pierce side uh, worked at the fire department. So he eventually went went into the the Pierce trade and worked at the fire department as a paramedic, and that's where he worked for for most of the time until he, he retired from there. So so my mom was crazy, you know, hippie, and I got a lot of musical things from her. And then you know, on my dad's side, we're, we're all uh, fire guys and kind of uh, local townies. <laughs> Right. Fire guys in local town. Yeah, like, like there, there was the one time I got in trouble uh, in high school. Uh, I remember the uh, the local police guy who thought that he was hot shit uh, bringing me and my friend in to like the fake holding cell to try to like make make uh, examples of us or scare us or something. And like my right. dad and and his boys are sitting in the front room of the fire department, like just kind of pointing and laughing, like what the hell did oh, really? you guys do? Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> so what was your um, like path into music then? If, if it wasn't really part of your, um, well, my, my dad upbringing. played drums. So there was always drums around. And I, uh, oh. so when I was really young, I ended up getting, you know, like kind of, you know, Muppet show drum kits and stuff like that. Right. Up until I guess I started playing guitar when I was ten. So, and I mean, I was, I was kind of obsessed with music ever since I was about four years old. Like I think my first real toy was a record player, and I had oh, wow. copies of like all my mom's Monkeys records, Beatles records, uh, Kiss. I was a Kiss kid. Like, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I, I mean, I was, uh, I was kind of destined to do this. I don't know what, what else I would have done. <laughs> um, so this kind of always felt like the path to you was like, yeah. Oh, definitely. Uh, uh, when I was, uh, I don't even know how old I was, but sometime in my youth, I, I, I collected stuffed animals and I used to uh, pretend that they were part of my band and we would sit on my bed and pretend that the bed was a van. And I was like, you know, <laughs> driving around to go to gigs, like, and we would go there and, like, you know, play with Kiss and stuff like that. And, like, yeah. so I would, it's funny. I used to pretend to do what I do now. It's, right. <laughs> you couldn't even pretend to be in a bus, at least? I mean. Yeah, no, no. It was, oh, I was, <laughs> I was also very obsessed with vans as a kid. I'm, I'm okay. not, I'm not sure why. I remember having, like, a, a van belt buckle, like, when I was, wow. like, you know, seven or eight. And then, yeah. and then there was this, uh, there's this toy that I got called Little Van Goes. And basically it was like a, a drawing thing where you'd put these three pieces of a van, like a front end, a middle, and an end. And you could swap them out and then you would like rub a pencil over them to create different types of vans. So I would just <laughs> sit there and like make all these crazy looking vans, like you know, four-wheel drive front end and low rider back end, and like all that stuff. And I would do that for hours. Wow. Dude. That really is like a predestiny. That's it's, interesting. Yeah, it's... Yeah. <laughs> The van is my natural habitat. Yeah, the van and being in band. So, what was uh, what was the first band you got together up there? Uh, in seventh grade, uh, me and my buddy Leroy, who also started playing guitar about the same time that that I did down the street from me, uh, we got a band together so we could play some Twisted Sister songs, and we called it Distortion. Oh, we bad. we we played at a. At, at the seventh grade talent show, I remember we did. Uh, we're not going to take it by Twisted Sister. You did good. Uh, we did okay. We didn't have a singer. None of us were were brave enough to sing. So I can't imagine that it was a terribly wonderful performance. But 
but I had Wait, just so gotten I had just gotten my star shaped vocalist. Uh, yeah, I like, but <laughs> hey, but I had just gotten uh, a new guitar with a whammy bar, so I was able to do the Ooh. I was able to do the solo and do a dive bomb, and I thought that was very very cool. That's, <laughs> that sounds dangerous. Yep. <laughs> and uh, when when did you like start? You know, kind of discovering uh, punk rock. Uh, I guess like beginning of freshman year, I was definitely into like heavy metal and and started getting into thrash and stuff like that. And I can remember one of my friend's older brothers uh, being like, oh, you guys think you listen to angry music? Here, you got to come listen to this. And he played us <laughs> Too Drunk to Fuck. <laughs> and, and, I, and, I, and I remember my buddy being like, this is awful. <laughs> and I was thinking like, I don't know. I, th- I think this is kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, sometime right after that, I got this cassette from SST Records called Program Annihilator, which okay. they had an ad in the back of Circus Magazine that said, yes. you know, hey, you, you like metal? You know, send away, you know, pay postage and you get this free cassette of sampler from SST Records of all our heavy metal stuff. And it was like later Black Flag, uh, Worm, St. Vitus, uh, yeah. some, some of the crazy stuff. But like I was instantly hooked. I was, all my friends were like, this is the worst guitar playing that I've ever heard. I'm like, no, no, this is, this is, <laughs> this is wonderful. I, you, you guys just don't get it. Yeah, yeah. So what do you think drew you to it? Just like the, the energy, the speed? Yeah, all of it. Like the aggression, just the, the, the lack of a formula. The, I don't know. Definitely the aggression. I, young, young Chris was very hyperactive. So it, it went along <laughs> with skateboarding and, and all the other crazy stuff. Yeah, you kind of fit fit right into the mold. Yep. Can and you were skate you like, up there in Maine? Was there like places to do it? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, you know, you could only do it between like you know May and October. Right. But, right. Uh, although you know, every spring you'd usually sweep out a spot in front of your house, try to get rid of all the you know inches of sand and salt that they'd put on your street, and get like a small spot so you could just skate back and forth. Right. And what was like your, uh, like socially, like, were you, uh, you know, in a, in a high school or something up there? Was it, you know, were you like outcast being into the stuff you were in or is it oh, just yeah. like a, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, I, my best friend, uh, growing up was, a uh, was a, was a jock. Oddly enough, he grew up to be a, uh, an, like a sportscaster, which is exactly oh, really? what he always wanted to do. Oh, and, okay. uh. So there was a time when uh, I pretended to play football. That was in like eighth grade and then the beginning of freshman year. And then I tried uh-huh. that and I just was getting my ass kicked. And I realized yeah. all of these guys on the football team, they don't like me. <laughs> and then I was not one to really take any uh, shit from, sure. from those kids. And I you know, definitely gave it back as much as possible. So yeah, yeah. I, I deserved any of the... Uh, any of the trouble that I got into most of the time, but uh, did you get into a lot of fights and shit? Uh, not fights because I, you know, I, I'm definitely not a fighter, but uh, I, I, I did my, I did my share of antagonistic things. I feel like I got some, some pretty good moments of revenge uh, when I needed to. <laughs> can you tell me? Can you tell me like your best revenge uh, story? Listen, yeah. One of one of the favorite things to do was we used to epoxy coins. To like the floor or the wall in the spots that uh, all the jocks used to hang out. 
and one of the spots uh, was just outside the study hall, and we put like a fifty cent piece on this pole. And I swear to you, like ten people per period, you could see them walk by and try to like pick this thing up. It was so wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good. I one. mean, uh, one thing that we did that I probably at this day and age I would go to jail for, but uh, uh, we took took a piece of paper and photocopied like uh, on like fortune cookie sized strips Friday's the day and we cut them up and we started handing them out to everyone on Monday Oh shit! <laughs> with no plans on what we we're going to do. Like we had absolutely nothing right. planned for Friday. We were just like, let's see, let's see what happens. And by Wednesday morning, we were called into the principal's office uh, asking, you know, what we were going to do. And we had, and someone said this is way before, you know, I, I graduated in 1990. So this is before shootings or bombings or any of that stuff. Right. Like, like it had gotten to the office that we were going to like sh- shoot up the school or bomb it or something like that. I think like it, just outrageous claims and they would not believe that we had absolutely nothing planned. And eventually we had to say, <laughs> look at us, look at our grades. Do you really think that we have something elaborate planned? And eventually they were like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Man, that. That Friday is that would be a straight ticket to prison. Oh yeah, days. oh yeah. That's this, and these are all stories that I I don't tell my son because I don't want him to. <laughs> once like, he gra- yeah. once he graduates high school, I'll tell him of all the the dumb shit I did in high school. But until then, nah. Yeah, he's more than likely not a going off track listener. Yeah, yeah. That that's safe to say. Is he a, po- a po- not a podcast guy? No, <laughs> but he'll watch all kinds of like YouTube videos of dudes just sitting around talking in the same way so he just needs the visual uh, side of it as well right right he doesn't for, drive yeah, yet for, so he do, he doesn't you know <laughs> he needs the visual stimulation still yeah yeah so how did that uh turn into uh turn into was doc hopper your first like proper i'm actually doing this band or is there something before that no uh See, by the time I was a senior in high school, I had a couple of bands. One of them I played drums in. It was like a hardcore band called Nothing Much. And then uh, I sang in a in a, like a, a dopey hardcore band, uh, like kind of punk rock band called Big Lawn that was named after a friend of ours who uh, misunderstood the lyrics to Descendants uh, Suburban Home. He <laughs> thought that Milo was saying that I want a big lawn. So, so we named our band Big Lawn. Uh, also, a member of that band was uh, Jesse Kimball, who uh, later moved to Portland, Oregon, and was a member of the Automatics. He and I oh, went to cool. high school together and played in dumb punk rock bands together. Nice. Um, and then I befriended a band through Maximum Rock and Roll uh, called the AGs. They were from oh, yeah. New Hampshire, and so I joined them when I was still in high school. And they were like, well, at the end of the you know, school year, we're going to go on tour and our drummer sucks. So do you want to join? And I was like, hmm, you mean skip my graduation and go on a two and a half month tour as a 17-year-old? Yes. Yes. I definitely want to do that. Wow. So that was, that That's was my awesome. first tour. And that was uh, pretty much sent me on my way to doing this. What, what, how was 17-year-old Chris on that tour? Just like love and life? Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Doing all kinds of dumb shit. How did you befriend them via Maximum Rock and Roll? Uh, I think I had an ad up, like looking for pen pals, uh, people right. that liked Descendants, Dag Nasty, 
and some other like hardcore stuff. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then John Clark, the guitar player, you know, wrote to me and said, "Oh, you, you live in Maine? Well, we're just like you know two hours away. Do you like do you like the Angry Simones and, and other stuff like that? You know, our, our band kind of sounds like that." I was like, "Hey, yeah. cool." So I, I he sent me a cassette and then said, "Hey." can you drive down here? And by then I was already like driving out of state to shows all the time. So yeah, yeah. You're so I was like, uh, yeah, no problem. And I showed up and, you know, had learned pretty much all their discography and they were like, geez, I think all of our current drummers haven't known, you know, this many songs. So, so you're, you're in. And are the AGs what eventually turned into Doc Hopper? Uh, the AGs turned into sinkhole. Oh right, yeah. right, right. Yeah, okay. so that like that, that's the side of that's the drummer side of Chris Pierce. Uh, yes. Af- right. After after that AG store, I came back and lived in Maine for about six months before I went to uh, Ohio briefly to a uh, recording school, and that's when I j- started Doc Hopper, and that's that's you know the, the guitar playing side of Chris. Right. Um, and like, how long after? You got Doc Hopper together. Did you take the band to Boston? Uh, the next year, uh, like fall of 91, our drummer was going to college at a in Mass College of Art. So okay. we're like, well, we can either find a new drummer or, you know, we can move to Boston. So we just, <laughs> so we decided to move to Boston. And what did you do? Like, like, where did, where did you live? Like, what did you do for money? Uh, let's see. If we... We moved just outside of Boston uh, in, to Brighton because we, we had not yet learned about Alston Rock City. But, oh, really? uh, uh, we, you know, just had shitty, shitty jobs. At that point, me and the bass player, John, we moved down there and like found another local hardcore kid, you know, befriended someone via an ad. And we had a, an apartment, I think it was 600 bucks a month. Nice. So we were each paying 200 bucks for a bedroom. So we all kind of worked, you know, shitty part-time jobs for, I mean, that was most of my existence in Boston. What kind of stuff were you doing? See, the first thing I did, first thing I did was uh, like flyer delivery. And, you know, they would send me into all these neighborhoods that I had no idea like where they were or, or you know, <laughs> or, or of any of their demographics and stuff like that. And yeah. And I was like, okay, th- this is not for me. And then I, and then I found uh, one of my friends worked at a screen printing place. So I went there and then that kind of started the, uh, I've now worked at, you know, a whole bunch of screen printing shops since then. But that was, uh, you know, maybe a three year gig there doing that yeah, stuff. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we ended up working at a spot called Just Say Rock. And in the nineties, they did all the uh, merchandise for like the Boston's. And yeah, some other bands. Say rock. Yeah. So I worked in the print shop of Just Say Rock, you know, printing uh-huh. printing a thousand it's a plaid, 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 plaid <laughs> world shirts on, on sleeves and stuff like that. Yeah. I see those t-shirts in my dreams sometimes. Nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and this this must have been like the old school proper. Spider press screen printing stuff. Oh yeah, right? oh yeah. These all, all they're all hand done by like a handful of us dingbats, you know. Yeah, yeah, the way it should be. Yep. Well, between between that job and living in New Brunswick so long, and or working in New Brunswick so long, you probably have some interesting things in your lungs. Oh yeah, 
Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, New Jersey, New Jersey is definitely toxic unto itself. I mean, yeah. l- luckily enough, I've never smoked cigarettes, so all of uh, all of my lung congestion is either bong related or New Jersey related, <laughs> hand in hand. Yeah. <laughs> And then, I mean, by what? Like, Aloha was out in what? Like, by 93, right? Uh, we recorded it in 93, and it came out in, like, the beginning of 94. You know, and that that pretty that put you guys on the map pretty pretty uh, heavily, right? Yeah, like, like was- we, we got we got the drummer that played on that, Greg, and that, that lineup was, like, summer of 93. And from there, we just started touring as much as we could. Yeah. I think that's when I came. Not I didn't know you then, but when I started to see you uh, often. Yeah, we um, we would come to New Jersey very often. We loved New Jersey. Yeah, and honestly, I saw you guys at one of the strangest shows because one of the first um, you know bigger shows I went to was at the University of the Arts in Philly to see like Chromags. Oh yes, it's Chromags, Snapcase, Snap- One Hundred Eight. Yeah. And Chromax yeah. didn't Shades show up. Shades Apart and you guys yep. randomly, right? Yes. And uh, Ernie and Parada from, uh, from Black Train Jack was playing second guitar with us then because uh, our guitar player, our other guitar player had quit and he was a buddy of ours. So he's like, hey, I'll, I'll, play, I'll play a couple of shows with you. I'm like, nice. Awesome. We showed up to that show and the van that we had at the time was this really long green what uh, we always used to paint our vans this bright green kind of ugly color we pulled up where the steps are in front of the university of the arts and the, the side door fell off like we opened it up <laughs> and it just fell off on on all the like we just looked like such dingbats showing up like and then and then during our set there was like a riot and people like jumping from the balcony and stuff it was, yeah it was a crazy that day that show was fucking insane yeah, that's there's there's video of it on on youtube yeah, because I think I'd seen you once before at the Down Under, maybe in New Brunswick. Yep. And so I actually kind of went to that show more for like you guys and Shades Apart, and maybe 108 already at the time. But like, I didn't know anything about, I really didn't know much about Chromags yet. And I didn't know about that scene as much yet. And I remember, didn't the Chromags cancel? Yeah. And then. Like and there was a lot of like angry, just fucked up kind of Chromax fans kicking around. Yeah, yeah. There was like a lot of like the straight edge crew, but then like people that came out to see the Chromags at that point would have been like the grumpier, older crew of hardcore dudes. Yeah, that, that yeah. didn't get along with the the younger crew. You you kind of have have had like an interesting relationship <laughs> with hardcore like that, right? Because I mean, yeah, we we used to, we played a lot of hardcore shows. I mean, and there was yeah. a, there was a brief moment when like when I was filling in, in in dead guy on guitar and then right. our, the bass player of doc hopper was he went to europe with Slapshot because they needed a bass player so for for a wimpy pop punk band we had some uh some hardcore i don't know if i'd say credibility but <laughs> right <laughs> we all of yeah, our buddies I mean, were in hardcore think... bands so we would play those shows and yeah i feel like i feel like geographically like if you happen to be from like the bay area or something you would have been swept up into kind of like, you know, that, that like punk rock explosion a little bit more like, you know, I mean, was that, was that in your minds like in Doc Hopper? Cause you know, you, you were just as good sonically as, as a lot of those bands that were just getting fucking huge at that time. I mean, you know, we, 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 we loved all those bands. Although, I mean, most of our, we, we were more trying to emulate, 
the the SST ethic of right. things, but uh, I mean, we we briefly flirted with uh, someone, a friend of ours in Boston, who was working for for MCA Records at the time. Uh, mm-hmm. Was like, hey, MCA Rec- Records, you know, they want to come check you out. Like, what the right. hell does that mean? Like, well, you know, yeah. they're you know they they might want to sign some punk rock bands. I'm like, all right, well. Hey, we're practicing next week," she said. Oh, "Okay," and at our the the house that we lived at in Boston, Hellgate. Uh, so we're practicing one day, and, and our friend shows up with this like older cat in tow, and we're like, "Who's this dude?" She's like, uh, "This is a uh, this is Hans Havelt." I'm like, who's that? And if if you look for this dude's name, he he worked at MCA Records. He apparently he's the dude that signed Metallica to Elektra in the '80s, and he had jumped oh, okay. ship to another label. So like. If you were like an old rocker, he he might have meant something, but we were like, okay, oh, hey, hey, pops, here, welcome to our grimy basement. Watch us, uh, <laughs> right. watch us blast through these songs in twenty two three minutes. And and after <laughs> what this, did Hans think about it? Uh, he liked us, and he was like, but you know what? Maybe they should do a demo. And oh, okay. uh, we were recording the second record at the time, and we're like, okay, and we worked it out. So they had given us money to do a demo, and I'm making quotation marks here and we ended up giving them like rough mixes for the album that we're already in the process of making for for ringing your records (laughs) and then we bought a new engine for our van with the money that they gave us oh hans (laughs) hans you got played yep Yep. but he was he was a very nice guy and we and we thanked them for the two thousand (laughs) dollars and (laughs) I forgot about that brief stint in Dead Guy. Like, how how did that come about? I mean, um, you know, I think as time I, goes on, Dead Guy is, you know, reflected on as an extremely important <laughs> band as they should be. Yeah, I mean, Dead Dead Guy was amazing. Um, I've been buddies with Keith Huckins forever, and you know, when when he was like, "Hey, I got this new band," after Rorschach broke up, right? The first time, I think the very first time Doc Hopper came into Brunswick, we played with them. And we instantly fell in love with them and they became our best buddies. And then New Brunswick became the, the spot where we would stay if we were playing shows elsewhere. So we'd come down and play at the Melody or the Court and then hang out with Tim and, and Keith and then, you know, go play Philly or North Jersey and then come back and stay in New Brunswick. Mm-hmm. So we, 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 we went on a long tour. We came back. Uh, Doc Hopper went on a long tour. We came back, and the room that I was living at in Boston uh, was no longer open to me. So I was like, well, hmm, I guess I'm going to stay down in New Brunswick for a week or so uh, <laughs> with with uh, my the, the this girl that I just met who became my ex-wife. Uh, and, and I was buddies with Dead Guy. And then I got a job, and I started, and they were like, well, Dead guy might need a guitar player because we think Tom doesn't want to play in a band where he just has to watch people beat each other up. And I was like, well, I'm down in New Brunswick now and I like watching people beat each other up. So <laughs> I'll do that. And then, and then, and then I got a job. And then I said to my buddies in Doc Hopper, I'm like, I think I just moved to New Jersey. <laughs> oh boy. How did that go over? Uh, they were not, they were not souped on that, but yeah. it ended up, ended up, Working out well for me, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Because, kind of you know, when I think about it, I don't think that I would have made the same choices. And I don't know if I would have, you know, tried to open a studio like I did down here. 
right. up, up there, that thought hadn't crossed my mind yet. And down here, I saw it in action a few times. And I was like, I right. could probably do that. Yeah. Did I read that Jim had something to do with like inspiring? Uh, you to, well, to Jim, Jim and I were going to be partners in Technical Ecstasy. Oh, okay. And then at the last minute, like uh, he flaked out and, and no longer wanted to be my partner. And that was when dead guy broke up and he wanted nothing to do with any of us. Oh, so, okay. so I had to kind of go ahead with my plans best I could not having a partner who had already done it, but right. I uh, feel like I stumbled through it. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. you said you'd gone to school for uh, engineering in, in Ohio or. Yep. Uh, the, the recording workshop in Chillicothe, Ohio, which is like 15 miles from the, Ohio Kentucky border. Oh, so did you I was, do that before you had made a decision to open the studio or after? Yes, yep. Yeah, it was it was the spring of 1991. I had I had tried to go to college in Maine, uh, the University of Maine at Augusta, which is like the local community style college. They had a good jazz program, and I was like, well, I guess I'll just go there and study music, and then be a weird music guy. I don't know, something like that, and. And I kept seeing these ads for this place, the recording workshop. And after uh, after taking one recording class, you know, at UMA, I was like, you know what? I think I think I might want to be a producer. I, I, you know, I think I can do this. So I went out to Ohio, and it was like April of '91, April into May, like as like a twelve week program or something like that. And I was literally of of the class where they were showing us how to like tweak up a 24 track machine and big consoles and stuff. And the guy was saying, but frankly, you guys, you're probably never going to be able to do this because this summer, this thing is coming out called an ADAT. And uh, these, these 24 track machines are going to be dinosaurs and digital recording is where it's all going to go. So uh, we're going to show this to you and then you'll never have to do it. Uh, that was a bit premature, but not by much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that. Yeah. <laughs> now I feel dumb because I went to audio engineering school in the early two thousands, and they still had us cutting tape and shit. I mean that that's what we were doing, but they were telling us like we're we're showing we might as well be teaching you how to make a sword here. Like this is like <laughs> archaic technology. Like this is it's gonna be a mute point a moot point when you you just need to cut and paste and you know. And you know, I don't even think we would have known what the friggin' technology or what the terminology would have been at the time. Yeah, yeah. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. 
Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Um, what was like the some of the first records you you did at, at Technical Ecstasy? Um, let's see. I think the the very first recording that I did when I got all the the stuff together was the uh the dead guy song that's on the the live record uh the the black uh, sabbath cover right like right. jim jim had left and that's like dave playing drums and me and tim and crispy kind of um, i think i played bass and guitar and kind of faking our way through electric funeral but uh right. and th- that was the very first one and i think i think nora the first song that nora recorded might have been yeah. the first paying session that i had yeah i was asking ross about that he said it was for the uh the bush league compilation yeah a, a song called i think it was called ugly and i'm yes. pretty sure it was their very first recording and it was my yeah. first recording and he said and, he said yeah he said again it gave him the taste that they wanted to do nora like like for real yep after that yeah and then and i think the first lp that i did was uh aviso hara good night sweetheart yeah that, good band. Yeah, that 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 record is awesome. They were they it were is good. Yeah, they and, and they were buddies of ours before before I moved down. So it was yeah. I was I was excited that my friends in the town that I just moved to were going to come do a record with me. Yeah, and I mean, and it seems like New Brunswick kind of changed fast on you because I mean, when you moved there, there was still you know a, a handful of like really good venues still kicking around. Yeah. Oh yeah. Shortly after there was, there was not right. And it was kind of just, you know, everything went to the basement. Right. Yeah. I mean, when I can remember there was, there was a weekend where, you know, uh, the band that I was doing with, with, with Tim from dead guy, uh, after that, no way narc or like stoner rock band. Uh, we, we made jokes that we were playing a three day weekend in, in New Brunswick headlining. I think we did like the melody, the court tavern and, uh, uh, the Budapest lounge, you know, like, you know, three shows in three days. New Brunswick tour, New Brunswick. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and there still would have been like three or four other places that we could have played. Sure. There was what the Roxy was still going. Uh, That was, that was right after the Roxy had closed, but I think, uh, Plum Street Pub was still happening. Yeah. Uh, McCormick's was still doing shows occasionally. And there was still a couple of like downtown spots. Wait, where the fuck did they do shows at McCormick's? They would move the, uh, I mean, they only did a few, but they would just push the pool table back. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, I can remember seeing Buzzkill there. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that must have been interesting. Yeah. Now, like, um, you know, and now the New Brunswick scene, I mean, they, literally can't even tell you where the show is right like yeah 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 unless you know the uh the name of the spot and sometimes they're not even putting that anymore no no 
But still kind of thriving, right? You know? Yeah. Like, uh, I mean, uh, you know, I still live in New Brunswick, so there's a couple of basements that aren't too far from me. You know, sometimes I'll walk by and I can see all the telltale signs, you know, people hovering around on the, on the sidewalk with a guitar case. Right. A lot of people yeah. on the front porch, you know, things like that. So I think and one you of, ever have the instinct to, yeah. oh, hello, Sonny. Uh, I mean, not, <laughs> uh, we've joked about showing up, uh, not knowing what band it was, but uh, I, I mean, I, I still go to the, some of the shows if I actually know what's happening. Sure, sure. Um, I, I wouldn't show up to a random show at this point because I would just assume they thought that I was someone's dad. <laughs> right. <laughs> someone's dad wearing a death metal t-shirt. Like, <laughs> Well, speaking of New Brunswick, our, our mutual friend, David Parker, <laughs> told me to ask you about a time when you were doing sound at the court and a metal band tried to fight you. Oh, yes. Yep, what happened that's, there? Uh, well... It was one, yeah. I think I'm trying to remember like what started the. Uh, okay, uh, <laughs> when we redid the court, we put some lights that were hanging over the PA speakers, and they were pretty hot because they were not LEDs; they were like still like par fifty six cans, you know, the giant ones. <laughs> so every once in a while, someone would start bitching that these lights that are up there are hot. Yes, they're hot, but you know. You're up on stage. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> you don't want the lights on you? Tell you what. They're not on you if you're not on stage, asshole. So <laughs> one, one, band, one band really started like yanking on them and trying to turn them down. And I was like, yo, uh, stop fucking with my lights. And like he just started, the singer started grumbling at me. And, and he was like, yeah, you know what? And just fucking turn everything up too. And so I just, I turned to my, uh, the girl I was dating at the time, she was standing next to me at the soundboard. I'm like, and that's not a real request. And someone <laughs> who was next to me was like one of their boys is like, yo, show them some fucking respect and do what he says. And I was like, <laughs> you know, I don't have to do that, sir. And frankly, I'm having you kicked out. And I went upstairs and tried to get some of the court security to kick them out. And the guy ran onto the stage and was like hiding behind them. And I, and, <laughs> and literally, and I was like, look, 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 uh, immature manager of the court tavern right now. If you don't get those guys out of here, I'm going to shut off the PA and leave because I'm not going to be threatened where I work by these right. fucking lunkheads. Right. And I just shut stuff off. And eventually they kicked them out. And the dudes from the band were like, yo, you fucking wait. We're, we'll be waiting outside. So like, uh, so like, I had to fucking call in all my skinhead buddies, <laughs> and I had and I had a few friends show up with baseball bats and uh and brass knuckles to make sure that we could walk to my van, uh, un unharassed. But Whoa. what what crew are we talking about? Like Junior, Nibla, Ken, Bain, uh, kind of, the, like those them dudes? and some of the Hub City dudes. Yeah, uh -huh, you know. Uh -huh. So you made it, Dave. Made Dave it Mann, safety. rest in peace. Yeah, those are some fucking scary motherfuckers. I remember them. Yeah, I mean, you know, and you only call in those favors when uh, when you absolutely need to. And and yeah, I had a bar, like I had a bar full of like lunkhead, drunk, like borderline Nazi, stupid metalheads being like, "I'm you're fucking dead. You're so dead." And I was saying to the manager of the court tavern who was standing there next to me, "Make them leave. You fucking hear them." And she pretended that she didn't hear them. Uh, oh. Good. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. And if later on I am questioned, I'm going to say that you brought me to do this. Right. <laughs> right. Shit. That Oof. sounds pretty scary. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, it, that that wasn't a fun night. That I mean, that was just one of a bunch of things that the second era management owners of the court tavern fucked up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean. Besides Mike Brew just being a general fucking scumbag, and please leave that in. Do not edit that out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Mike Brew, fuck you. <laughs> I know the stories. But beyond all that, I mean, it's band 101 that you never fuck with the sound guy. Like, there's no yeah, I winning. Mean, you can't win that battle. I've, I've, ha- <laughs> I, I had to say that to another band one time. <laughs> uh, similar situation. He yanked on the lights, and I said, "Cut it out." And he said, what the fuck are you going to do about it? What if we just fucking stop playing? And I'm like, asshole, none of us fucking want you to fucking be here. So like, <laughs> and, and, and then he's like, yo, you to come down here and say that. And I just muted him and I went over to the house PA and I said, look, I am the voice of God. Do not argue with the sound man. I am always right. Yeah. And, the, and the, the kid just looked so mad. Uh, no. And ev- and and eventually, and the, the dude was on stage with like a hoodie up over his head and stuff like that. And after I go, and besides that, take your fucking sweatshirt off. You look like a scumbag. And all the, and everyone started <laughs> clapping. And then at the end of that night, they said to uh, Rocky and Andy, uh, they had their tour manager say that um, we're afraid of your sound man. Uh, we're concerned <laughs> about leaving town because I had I had said something about. Yo, don't make me fucking call my posse in here. And yeah. and Rocky said, uh, those guys said that you were going to threaten them. I said, Rocky. And I'm like pushing up my glasses to, in, <laughs> in front of all these guys with like neck tattoos and stuff like that. I'm like, Rocky, I said nothing of that type. What are you talking about? <laughs> and then afterwards I said, with a fucking court tavern, why are you guys making allowances for these fucking dingbats? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. That was a tough time. Yeah. It, was, it was not good. I tried. I tried. I did everything I fucking could, despite the owner being the worst person ever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I never met that guy, but but secondhand, I've heard story on story about... I mean, everyone in town knows he's a joke. Everyone in Highland Park and New Brunswick laughs at him. Like, he had... He drove around town with the giant Humvee, like, monster truck with the logo of the other venue that he owned. And people would, like, okay. point and laugh at him. Like, like, <laughs> like the dude made himself a fucking joke. Yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> and, and it was funny, a, a couple of years ago, like, two years after he had fucked up the court for the second time and they had closed down, he, like, texted me something. And I think he meant to text someone else. And I literally called him. I was like, you didn't mean to send this to me, right? And he's like, oh. Oh, no. And I was like, you are such a fucking moron. I can't believe that you didn't erase my number. Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. Uh, like, And I feel like I'm the only person that ever said to his face that he was a fucking scumbag. And he looked genuinely surprised. Like, oh, my God. Like, yeah, you yeah, fucking, fucking right. dingbat. Yeah. Uh, that was a rough time. <laughs> well, the court was a great place. It was I one of the best. I, I, I saw the best shows... Run. Probably that I've ever seen in that space. I'm pretty sure you've done sound for me there. I hope I behave oh, yeah. better. Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, like, but through all this, like, you know, you, you've always had a prolific, like, recording. You've always been, but have always played in bands, you know? And I, like, it's one cool thing I've always felt about you is, like, I mean, you could basically do records by yourself, you play every instrument, but like, what, what do you like love about being in a band? Like, what is it that, that keeps you always coming back to that? 
I mean, there's there's nothing that beats that feeling when you're making music in the middle of the song and look around with the your bandmates and that moment right. of connection of making a glorious noise and decorating this moment with whatever crazy sounds you guys are doing. Like that's that is something that can never be replicated. No drug, no no app, no anything like that can ever do that. And yeah, I want to do that with as many of my friends and as many of the people that I love and respect as I can. Fuck and yeah. and I, you know, it's I just I love making music. I want to do it with all of my buddies. And anytime anyone's like, we should do this, I was like, yes, yes. That's <laughs> I definitely want to do that. Um I mean, I love that. It's like yeah. beautifully romantic. Yeah. Um so I mean, how was uh how was your entry into school drugs then? Like, how did that all start? Um, I guess I met Josh when I was still kind of doing sound at, at the lanes. And then once right. he took over the, uh, the, the kitchen there, excuse me. Uh, yeah, he, you know, he and I met then and kind of became buddies or became acquaintances at least. And then he asked me, I think, I think the show they had booked was either with, GBH or Dag Nasty in like end of 2017, I want to say. Okay. Maybe, maybe beginning of 2018. And he was like, well, we definitely need you to play the show and we want to do a seven inch. And I'm thinking I might have you record it and probably play drums at the same time. I was like, I can, I can do all of that stuff. Yeah. And then, uh, and then once we one stop shop, yeah. And then uh, once we started playing together, I think it uh, it 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 worked out. I I love playing at school drugs. I I think I the the stuff that Josh writes is awesome. He has the whole aesthetic in mind, and he has things totally planned out. And it's you know, it's like you know, I'm a minion for the mad scientist. I, I, I I am I am that dude in in Doc Hopper. And then, you know, other bands where I'm writing stuff. And I know how to be the good soldier for those guys when they need their soldiers. Right. Sure. Yeah. It's it's like, it's nice to um, be behind someone with like real vision, right? It, like, I mean, I, you know. I, I used to joke that I, I think the best bands work when it's a dictatorship. Yeah. And some, some people would be like, no, isn't it like, you know, democracy? Like, no, no, no. It's best when there's one one person with like some sort of vision, you know, the songwriter, they've got an aesthetic, they've got that thing and then he's he or she has the people around them to be their, you know, the general and then they have their soldiers and they're the people that you can count on to to pull off what you need and that's, you know, when you get the right people, there there's none of this like, well, but I think that we should and you shouldn't and I'm questioning your and you know well, I mean, it just has to work two ways. Like, right, the people need to really trust in the vision and like the creation of the person. Oh, yes, fully. And then that person needs to make people feel like they're necessary and important. Well, yeah, someone has to have the know? dream, and then you have to make people yeah. buy into your dream. But exactly, yeah, like the the best dictators are, uh, you know, the, know how to the secret ones, to... like like the secret producers that that the band doesn't realize that they're being produced. Yes, exactly. Yeah. These are not the droids like, you're looking for. School drugs is fast. Like how's 
you know, you're not a spring chicken anymore. How's, how's your hands? How's your wrists? Like, uh, how do you get ready for those shows? I mean, I, I do practice stuff and I'll run the set alone when I, when I can to make sure that I can keep up the speed. But, yeah, yeah. But like, I'm, I'm doing like D-beat stuff and kind of cheat beats. Because when oh, okay. at, at first I started doing everything very precisely, you know, I, I'm a I'm a Bill Stevenson ripoff, so I, I started playing stuff like that. And Josh right. would look at me and like, no, no, play it dumber. I'm like, <laughs> huh? He's like, no, no, you're, you're playing it too good. Like, right. uh, he's like, no, just follow the accents. Like, he's like, pretend you pretend you're a drunken fool. Play it like that. And then I get the, oh, oh, yeah, okay, all right. Right. And so I kind of leaned into doing that, where as I would have fought that tooth and nail up until that point. But now I'll do some stuff and Josh would be like, nah, dumber. Wow. Okay. And, and I, and I, but I get what he means when, when he says that. So, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, okay, that's, that's too precise there. Like, we don't, we don't want to sound like no effects. We don't want to sound fast or like a fat yeah, band. You right. know, you don't like that's that's not the kind of thing that we're going for. That must be a relief because I I also come from the Bill Stevenson school and like you know sometimes I'm playing a show and I'm just like fuck why did I write so many sixteenths? Oh yeah, well, well unfortunately yeah. there's a few there's a few things that a few songs that I still do the uh, the sixteenths on the on the ride symbol and yeah. the last like few set lists that we've written, they've been in a row. And by this, like oh, the second right. or third song, I've been like, damn it, damn it. I'm going to, I'm going to look like Popeye by the end of the stint, like <laughs> one huge forearm because of it. So do you do uh besides for just like, you know, practicing what, like, do you have any like warm up stuff you do to get ready for shows? Uh, I mean, I'll stretch usually. And sometimes I'll just sit there and try to, you know, run through some fake rudiments or, Paradiddles. I mean, uh, sometimes if I'm I'm spacing out and drinking or, or in a in a in a funny stoned mood, I'll be like you know doing blast beats along with whatever band is playing, just make sure that I can keep up and stuff like that. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> you, well, use we'll use try. their tempo as my uh, my metronome. Right, right. I mean, great fucking band. Like School Drugs has to be among my favorite hardcore bands that are currently playing, and I really appreciate what you all are doing. I love Josh too. Um, I always seem to be asking Josh stories about other people. So I thought this was a unique opportunity where maybe I could get a great Josh Jerk story off of you. Hmm. Josh Jerk story. I don't know if there's any particular like funny Josh stories, although he, he has, he has impeccable timing while on tour. Uh, he's the guy that the second that you guys decide, all right, let's go. Yeah, let's pack up. Let's do this. He'll jump in the shower. <laughs> or like, that's when he says, or that's when he jumps out to smoke a cigarette is when the rest of us have already been like, all right, let's go. And then he's like, where the hell did he go? Like, it's... Right. Uh, Josh Josh lives uh, in his own world and by his own uh, <laughs> time schedule. So we just... yeah. We just go with the flow. We we're just we're just merely guests in Josh's world. So maybe you're <laughs> highlighting one of the downsides to a dictatorship. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Sometimes it's frustrating, but but you know what? If that if that's the worst thing that that I ever have to deal with with a bandmate, uh, yeah. uh, that's that's fucking great. Like, uh, yeah, it, does, it 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 merits flexibility, right? Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, and and he has, and, you know, he's he does a great job dealing with me. The times when I'm a, I I can I can definitely have a hair a hair trigger uh, temper, and I've definitely unloaded on him a couple of times, and he'll bounce back afterwards. And you know, that's good. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's I mean that that's the key to the, to to that whole the band bandmate ship. There is you know. You got to be right. able to scream and then like everything's okay after you get that out. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I think that's where it turns into like partially like a, you know, like a brotherhood. Yeah, like like you're, I, you're, I don't harbor anything long term. to be angry with each other. Yeah. I'm grumpy right now. And after I scream at you, I'll probably stop being angry. <laughs> right. Mm. I saw an old quote from you where you said like, if I couldn't do this, meaning playing drums, I'd be a real angry guy. Yeah. He, like, and when you haven't played drums in a while, you'll start to get the twitches and tapping on things. And oh yeah, I, I have I have eternal drummer's disease. Like, right, I, I'm always shaking or tapping or or doing something like that. Like, I'm sure it's an undiagnosed ADHD. So, do you really feel it? Like, you'll be feeling anxious, and and you'll go rip some drums for a while, and you really do feel like. Like something was released oh, from you that needed to be released. Definitely, playing playing drums is definitely more one of the more cathartic things that I do. It's, it's yeah, it's a great release, and it's 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 instant gratification too. You know, it's how so be, beat drums right there. You feel better, <laughs> right. you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. Hit stuff. Yeah, man. Hit like, stuff. It's, feel it's, good. It's, yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's it's primal. It's it's. Yeah, I try not to do the primal screams because I, I have you know de- delicate vocal cords, but I'll right. beat the piss out of these drums, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you could just sit down and start. No, no, no waiting for things to heat up. No concerns about little mini cables going kaput yep. or anything. Like <laughs> yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Um, that's awesome, man. Well, I love I love school drugs. I I listen to it all the time. Um, uh, the 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 new the new seven edge that we're doing. Uh, I'm totally convinced this is going to be the one where we lose the kids. Oh, uh, wow. the new the new one has some uh some some keyboards on it. We're getting a little weirder. We're getting into our yeah. into the unknown era. Love it. Yeah. We yeah. Can't uh, well, do the same record because because the record that we're doing now is is three. Is that me or you guys? Not uh, me. Not me. Uh, because uh, the, the, new, the new record is going to be these four EPs, and then we're going to have it remixed, and it's going to be one LP. So this new one oh, is, cool. is side, the beginning of side B. And historically, you know what side B always means. What? I mean, following the SST model, that now we're going to turn into downers. We're going we're gonna to try to lose you. We're going to see how far, far out there we can pull you, you know, Really challenge your listeners. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, I think yeah. it's some that's healthy. Yeah, it's healthy. I think that's a good thing to do. So, when did you decide to um, start doing the Doc Hopper stuff and and get like Fid and and Mikey in the mix? Um, I guess twenty thirteen. 2013 was the la was the set of shows that uh, our friends from Canada uh, wanted us to do some stuff. So I was like, "Yeah, you know what? What the heck? We we can do that. There's no reason. There's no reason that we're not that we, you know, haven't played. We don't hate each other. We just haven't played in a long time, right? And uh, you know, I recruited those guys because because Fid had played bass for us, I think in '99 or something like that. Like when oh, really? when our when 
our bass player, John, went to Europe with Slapshot. Fid filled in for some shows. Or it might have been when, he, when John was in Japan. Probably both of those. So, like, and we took Fid on, on one of the tours we went on back then. So, so he was always kind of, uh, you know, he and I have been friends for a long time. And he, he had done some other stuff for Doc Hopper. So I was just like, well, sure. Fid, you, you want to you jump in here and play? And, uh, and Mikey originally was, you know, just going to be second guitar guy. But it certainly worked out since our drummer, Craig, up in Boston. He's a busy guy, so I can't always ask him to take, take time off and do things like that for, uh, for shows. So, so Mikey can just jump in and be drummer. Awesome. Yeah. It, it works out well they- because all three of us already play together in a couple of other bands. So if we, ask, yeah. if we have to ask each other's availability, usually we know it pretty fluid yeah 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 on on this on this upcoming tour it'll be mikey eric band and doc hopper and then the difference will be that me and mikey will just switch places drums and guitar and then fid will either detune to e flat or tune to e standard for mikey fun yeah must be a good time um i asked uh i hit up fid before we did this interview always nice to say hi anyway but i was like Give me your funniest Chris Pierce story. And I, 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 he gave me a really detailed tale that I want to ask you about. He said that. <laughs> okay. He said Doc Hopper was playing some shows in Canada a few years ago. And you were driving up. Apparently, Mikey was worried about the border crossing for <laughs> one reason. Fid was worried about the border crossing for another reason. Um, and, you know, didn't want to mess anything up. They had a... A lot of anxiety, I guess, in the back seat. And he says, Chris Pierce decides the best way to deal with having weed in the car would be to pull over right down the road from the border checkpoint, clearly visible in all caps, <laughs> to all concerned officials and smoke that last joint. Uh, apparently, Mikey didn't know what to do with himself. Uh, overwhelming stress. Uh, I, I don't know. If, fit, I don't know if we were fit. actually within sight of them, but I definitely yes, that Clearly was definitely visible in all yeah, caps. Yeah, I, story I, yeah okay. I, I'll, I'll, <laughs> and, I'll believe. I'll believe Fid. But yeah. and and Fid says with the overwhelming stress, he dealt with it the only way he knew how, which he accepted to join, yeah. which then instantly doubled his own and Mikey's paranoia. Uh, apparently, he says we made it painlessly through the checkpoint, reeking of weed. And absolutely losing our minds in the back yeah. seat. Yeah. I, I, uh, I mean, my, my, my wife was with us at that. I don't, okay. I, don't, I don't know that we were actually reeking of weed then, but, but you know, we, they, they had lots of anxiety going up. And that was right after there was a brief time when you couldn't go to Canada unless you had like very specific papers. Right. Yeah. And then they, they went back on that, and now it's the, the way it used to be. Like, you just kind of have to have the wave from the, you know, the promo- you need yeah, to acknowledge right. that you're playing, but as long as you're not making money, they don't really care. Uh, yeah, you're not. So, so we, you know, we get there, and we get to the border, and the guy's like, all right, what are you guys doing? And and we hand them our passports, and our license is like, oh, uh, we're in a punk rock band. We're, we're going to play some shows. He's like, oh, well, where are you guys playing? I'm like, um, Toronto and Ottawa, Montreal. He's like, oh, where are you playing in Toronto? And I'm like, uh, I can't remember. He's like, what, what kind of band? I'm like, punk rock. He's like, you're playing at the Bullvine Sex Club. And I was like, yeah, oh, right. yeah, that's to- that, you're right. That's totally where we're playing. He's like, all right. And he just like goes through and then they just, you know, made sure that none of us are wanted. And I'm like, cool, get out of wow. here and have fun. Yeah, yeah. And 
And that was the first time that that Fid, I think I think that was the first time that Fid had gotten in and the first time that Mikey had gotten in successfully without like someone fucking it up. So they were right. both just like shitting themselves. And I was like, guys, I told you it was going to work, man. You, you got you to <laughs> trust in me. I mean, I, I had just crossed the border with like Poison Idea and like, some other metal bands and stuff because I used to like do backline and drive bands and stuff. So like I had already crossed the border a few times recently then. So I knew that it was going to be simple. And they were like, I, I can't believe that. I can't, dude, how did you do that? Like Jedi mind trick them. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that that's I think that's what he was trying to convey <laughs> in this. Well, I mean, he finished this with then he said, when leaving Montreal for the return trip, Pierce insisted on driving to Olympic Stadium where he left his Canada weed hidden for some lucky intrepid explorer to find tradition or some shit. Yep. He said, I don't know, but I'm currently having wild anxiety just writing about the initial <laughs> crossing. He says, Chris Pierce, don't give a fuck about nothing. <laughs> well, well, you know, within reason, but yeah, I mean, one of our buddies had hooked us up, hooked us up, up there. So we went and visited uh, Olympic Stadium. And I'm like, well, obviously we can't bring it back. And, and we had like more than we could just smoke right then. So I'm like, well, we'll just put it right here. Like, we'll hide it like... Just stick it somewhere so so someone will find it. You know? right. Someone's going to have an awesome day when they're like... Yeah, that's good yeah. weed juju right yeah. there. That's, I mean, that's smart. But how do you like... Uh, you know, I know... I've, you know, I've seen you worked up, but I've, I know this, like, this, this part of you that, that, that it can just go through something like that with a real, like, kind of ease and confidence, like... Is that is that just the way you are? Is it like a face you put on to get through stuff? Like yeah, that? no. I mean, there, there. I, I mean, I guess I, I, I have a very quick temper if I feel as though I've been wronged or there's an injustice happening. But right. when it comes to like general frustrations and stuff like that, or at least things that are kind of out of our control, you just kind of have to accept things and go with it. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Or at least that's what I keep telling myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's working. Yeah, you know, some somewhere between the, like the the stoned, laid back guy and the caffeinated maniac. There, th- those are the two personalities fighting it out in my brain. Yeah, yeah. Well, I really uh, empathized with that story because I would have been losing my shit. Uh, I mean, I it, this- and 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 it, and you know. And Mikey wasn't helping because he had already been turned back twice. And I guess if you are turned away three times, you like your band or something like that. Oh, so I was like, yeah. dude, who did you go up there with? And when he told me, I was like, <laughs> you, you went up there with the wrong crew, my friend. I promise you, nothing is going to happen. <laughs> oh, man. So I wonder who found it. So it wasn't tradition dropping it at Olympic Stadium. Oh no, we was... uh, in the old days, Doc Hopper. We we had gone up there and played like in the '90s a few times, and we would always go. And one time, uh, Olympic Stadium was under construction, and we could get on top of one of the spots, and we could skate on on the side of you know you, oh, really? you know what Olympic Stadium looks like, like the huge I've, like yeah, Jetsons looking yeah. thing, and it's yeah, got like a uh-huh. yeah this like brutalist cement thing and you know we got onto one spot where you could skate on the roof and it was crazy so we had we had ditched our weed at like a side of a garbage can like can't bring it back so figured i'd do the same thing (laughs) yeah all right well if i have the opportunity i'll keep that tradition alive for you nice i mean i i definitely recommend poking around olympic stadium when you guys were up there 
Yeah, I've I've been close to it, but I've never really like proper checked it out. It's it's yeah. worth a wander when it's not open. Like right. the, the whole the whole grounds are pretty fun, especially if you've got yeah, a skateboard yeah. with you. But um I had a random one just because I thought you might have a good answer for this. What was your uh the first show you ever saw? What was the last show you saw? And what's the best show you've ever saw seen? Okay. Uh <laughs> Like, like first punk rock show. I guess, yeah. I mean, maybe I th- a punk rock, yeah. and then like also maybe first like big show. The, the, the first concert I ever went to uh, was Billy Idol on the Rebel Yell tour. Yes. Like, like before I got into like metal and punk rock, like I loved, I loved Billy Idol and uh, Adam Ant. Like I, I had my stepmom pierce my ear for me in seventh grade because <laughs> I totally wanted to be like Billy Idol. Uh, uh-huh. So that that was the first big concert, and then ACDC after right after that. Yeah, on the Who Made Who tour, and nice. and and then I guess the first like hardcore show I went to was uh, Youth of Today and Bold. Uh, it would have been like the Break Down the Walls tour, like '88. Wow. Where was that show at? TT uh, the Bears place in Boston. Uh, there was a, a few of us from Maine. And like Boston was like three hours from where we grew up. Providence was four. So like we would go to Boston and Providence for shows sometimes. Uh, on this particular one, none of us had actual permission to go to out of state. And uh-huh. one of our buddies drove us. And I think we had all lied and said that we were like going to Portland skateboarding for the evening and we wouldn't be back till late. <laughs> and then someone's, someone spilled the beans. And, you know, when we all called the check-in, uh, they found out that we were like, you know, two states away and we all got into, yeah. got, all got into a lot of trouble for that. <laughs> was it worth it? Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> you said today in bold oh, on yeah. that tour. That must've yeah. been fun. Yeah, it was cool. I, and I was totally like straight edge kid in heart in high school. So that was, that was like the perfect show. Um, let's see the, the last show I saw, I'm trying to think of what the last show was. Uh, something, it's hard to remember because I'm, I'm at so many shows playing and a lot of times right. I'll like confuse like, why was I, I remember the night. I can't remember what band or if I was playing or if I, uh, maybe Dead Guy. Oh, nice. Like wow. one of those things. One of those trying to, I'm trying to think shows. if I've seen anything since then. I mean, I, we, we, we watched lots of shows at Fest last year. Oh, so, sure. So the that but I what's think, the last like big like arena you kind of show you've seen shit uh i took gibson to see imagine dragons like four years ago five years ago okay. <laughs> and and i think maybe that same summer we saw willie nelson so, oh ooh. nice that was a good summer at pnc how's an imagine dragons gig good uh I barely, I don't remember anything musically. And we walked in, I guess, pretty much right before they started. And we were at the very, very top of PNC. And I remember like, the, there was Gibson and a couple of his friends and they were hanging out, having a great time. And I was like kind of sitting against the fence, pouting or just being bored. And a like rent-a-cop came by and like flashed his light at me and I was like, the fuck is your problem? And he started harassing me thinking that I was a drunk guy. And eventually I was oh, like, God. like almost ended up getting tossed out because this fucking like authoritative twat started like just wouldn't shut up. 
I was like, I'm here with my fucking son. Get the hell away from me. <laughs> Even with your kid, you can't, yeah. you can't get it out I mean, of your dad. You know, I, I guess I was always destined to be a Jersey guy. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're made for this yeah, place. I'd, I definitely have the personality to live in the state, without a doubt. You have the personality to live in Keensburg. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can deal with grumpy white folk. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. And what what would you say is the best show you've ever seen? Uh, either uh, Jonathan Richmond or The Dictators at the Court Tavern. Wow. Both of those really? shows were like packed like to the tits, so crowded, like people standing on the bar, standing on the stairs, every nook and cranny, everyone singing, everyone going crazy. Oh, also, I would put another show in there, uh, Nashville Pussy. All, yeah. All of those bands. And I remember when Nashville Pussy played at the Court Tavern, when Corey, the bass player, blew fire, uh, our friend Eric Fiorito, his hair caught on fire. He had blue, oh, he had blue dreads at the time, and he totally got this, <laughs> like, he had to put his head out. Where does one blow fire at the court? Downstairs while they were playing, oh, dude. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You you could see it was going to happen, and the, the crowd just parts, and she yeah. blew it towards the stairs from the stage, and he was right in the front being like, yeah! And it totally, like, <laughs> singed his dreads. Oh, my God. There's, 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 there's some famous photographic evidence of that one. Nice. Uh, yeah. All this court tavern talk is really making me miss that place. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was it was a tiny place where you could see a show, and no matter what, it would feel intimate. Yeah, it's true. You know, I'm- I wonder. Me and you actually might be in the running for. Like, I, I think I played the court in like six or seven different bands. Like, I played the court in. I wonder who has the record. Oh man, might be oh. Mikey. <laughs> I don't know, because a lot of Mikey's bands didn't play the court. Like, I had the Ergs play and a couple other bands play, but he, like, they were kind of too young to play the court the first time. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Man, I, uh, I wonder how many bands I've played in that have played on the court. That might take a few minutes to figure that one out. Because what? I'm sure is. Doc, uh, well, Doc did Doc Hopper ever play the court? Must have. Yeah, Doc Hopper's Retro Marxist, I'm sure. Yeah, Groucho's. And then, let's see. Uh, Buzzard Wagon and then Speed Queen, like the when I was playing, it was like kind of heavy metal cock rock band. Right. Uh, I know School Drugs played there once. I know that uh, I played there in Brickmower. I played there in a few like tribute nights bands. Like one time, uh, right. Racy DC. Oh yeah, Racy DC. <laughs> yeah. That's right. I saw that. I saw you guys playing uh, at at Uncle Joe's. Oh yeah, Kansas Uncle City. Joe's was awesome. That was that a great was a venue. Great gig. Yeah, man. That's that was that was that was one of the uh, the places when it closed. That that one hurt. Can you can you tell Brad what the concept of Racy DC was? Because that shit was. Hard. Oh yeah. All right. So we started out and and uh, <laughs> we were just doing we were just gonna do Highway to Hell and like other Bond era stuff. And our friend Ray Cubian, who uh, plays in a band, played in a band called True Love. He like he sings just like just like Bond Scott. So nice. so the, hence the Ray CDC. And, ah. uh, and then after that, and that started because we would do, those guys were affiliated with Arlene's Grocery and we would do these like perfect album nights where bands would cover like whole records, yeah. you know? So, yeah. the, so the first one we ever did with like that crew of dudes was, uh, we did Dark Side of the Moon, which was insane. Oh. And then, uh, then we did London Calling 
and then Highway to Hell. And then after doing Highway to Hell, it like Racy DC kind of played some other shows and we started working on other just Bon Scott ACDC things. And then uh and then our you drum. You didn't do all of London Calling, did you? We did. Wow. Yeah. That's a long set. Oh yeah. Especially of songs that you have to learn. Yep. Yeah. Wow. I mean that that was uh that was a hard one because I because I hadn't I wasn't I hadn't been intimately familiar with that record at the time. I think we probably did that in like 2004 or 2005. Like that that wasn't my favorite Clash record at the time, but now right. now that I've studied it so intimately, it's uh it's a masterpiece. It is. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> That's well, intense. Chris, I've I've had you for a while, man. I did hour 20. Didn't, didn't beat out Jim though. No, I mean <laughs> Jesus Christ. So, I don't know if you guys know this, but uh, School Drugs was coming back from Kentucky after having this absolutely hellish drive. Uh, we played on the Kentucky-Virginia border, and as soon as we got off the highway, we had to go up a mountain in the dark, in the fog, and like we thought we were going to die. So, uh, so leaving Kentucky, we go over the mountain, and like people are having panic attacks, and we're just all like stressed <laughs> out. We're like, all right, let's put on the gym podcast. We need to, we need to relax. So nice. we listened. We listened to Jim Part One most of the way across Virginia, and then about the time we're getting into DC, it ends. And then we called Jim on speakerphone in the van <laughs> and asked him about a few more stories and got him to tell us a couple more. Like he was at work and he's like, "Okay, hold on." He's, he's like, "Is this Chris Pierce?" And I'm like, "Hey, Jim, it's actually all of School Drugs." Can you tell us about blah, blah, blah? And he's like, hold on a second. Let me walk away from the soundboard. And he like went outside <laughs> and told us like four more stories that we asked him on no command. Way. Yes. That's so awesome. Yeah. Oh, the best. <laughs> oh, I, and he got great. you through the storm, yeah. huh? Yeah. 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 Oh, uh, I love that guy. I, I'll, listen, I'll listen to that dude talk for a million years. Oh, oh yeah. That's beautiful. I think, we're <laughs> Brad, I think it's beyond doing like a part three with Jim. I think we should just. Should he just be part of the podcast? Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, you know? It's, I'm surprised that he hasn't done one himself. Although he's better, I guess, as the uh, the guest star personality to spice other things up. Because he, yeah, I, I love listening to Jim talk. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. That's awesome. Well, Chris, thanks for doing this. Uh, one day, I hope to record more music with you other than the one song I've done with you, which was for a fucking Christmas album. Uh, I did, I did give Parker the actual copy of that, that I had, I had a physical copy of that. So, so he actually has a real physical copy of that, or I mean, he should, I gave it to him a few years ago, but, but that, that is, that does still physically exist. So you can, you can hear that. that. (laughs) Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. No, it was fun, man. (laughs) Thanks for, I don't know, everything you do. You've been a fun guy to watch. Watch do his thing for for most of my adult life. I appreciate it. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Nice. Yes. Maybe uh, for the Patreons, just to be clear, the song that Chris Pierce was talking about towards the end there, the one song I recorded at his studio was my band, The Killing Gift, doing a song for a Christmas compilation. Really? And, you know, I felt uh, just, you know, the dutiful need to put a little Jewiness into it. <laughs> so I made, I didn't make, It was offered by my great guitar player, the Risky Jesus, John Ziff, to play the Hava Nagila on oh. guitar. <laughs> so we did that little bit before we played, uh, I don't even know what the song is called. It was something Merry Gentleman. God rest you, Merry Gentleman. Yeah, that one. That one we ended up doing. Um So that is the one song I've recorded with Chris Pierce. It was on an Immigrant Son Records Christmas compilation that they put together. Pretty, pretty, pretty fun stuff. So are you um, saying we're gonna we're gonna give it to the patrons to listen to? Yeah, apparently a real copy exists. I didn't know uh, until he said he gave it to Parker. So yeah, let's get it out there, baby. Yeah, I'm, it's a fun song. Hell you know? yeah, let's do We it. Did it punk rock and. To anyone who doesn't know, like Killing Gift was the band I was in with Alex Rosamelia from Gaslight prior to Gaslight. So, you know, maybe if there's some Gaslight nerds out there, you're actually interested in hearing this. But <laughs> I'm was, interested. Uh, oh, thank you, Brad. <laughs> thank you for it. placating me. I'm not placating. I'm psyched. <laughs> <laughs> I love that kind of shit. So if you want to get in touch with Chris Pierce, he's on the Instagram at Gobo Pierce. Uh, Doc Hopper's on there. Doc underscore Hopper underscore IG. And of course, the mighty School Drugs who's on there as School Drugs NJ. Um, you know, if you haven't, I mean, the list of bands he's in, you know, he was in Sinkhole. He was in Dead Guy. He was in the Groucho Marxists. You know, these, these great bands through the years. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I think... You know, Doc Hopper and School Drugs are still very, very relevant bands that are good to listen to. I mean, I probably wore the fuck out of my copy of Aloha, the, the first Doc Hopper All LP, a right. long time ago. So great music. I appreciate Chris Pierce and him, him taking that time. Yeah. Absolutely. Did you feel a connection as a fellow old man engineer? Absolutely. You know, and I was... The other thing is like, we've definitely crossed paths because like a lot of that interview, I didn't bring it up, but like I knew Hans, the, the A&R guy that he was talking about. You did. From you knew Hans. Yeah. Because, and, and the connection that I knew him through is also a dead guy connection, which was because dead guy was, I think was on engine 
and like engine blackout like we were on blackout they're twin labels we worked out of the same and the dead guy guys were in the office a lot we were hanging out at the office oh. a lot it was a great office cuz it was fucking it was the first office for um Steve Martin and uh um nasty little man who at that point just had like beastie boys now he has every great musician in the world from right. like the foo fighters on down huh. um but uh yeah, so like there's a lot in there. There was a lot of stuff in that interview that I'm like, yeah, we've made, we've been I've, you know, I probably I think like I was trying to think of the time zone when he was playing with Dead Guy. I probably saw him play with Dead Guy, but and might have been in the same room, definitely the same bar. Wow. So. Why why don't you talk about this stuff in the interview? Because I can't remember like the details enough to make it interesting. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm like, yeah, I'm not sure that I did see him in Dead Guy. You know, I, I can't remember what the year might have been, but but they were close. The years were close. There's some overlap. Yeah. Opening for Dead Guy was one of the most important shows in my musical career when I was a kid. Yeah. We opened for Dead Guy and Curb Jaw. Curb Jaw. Down under. <laughs> Curb Jaw. Another good band. Good jersey band. Really? I believe they turned into Spirit, X Spirit X, I uh, believe. But yeah, right. good group. Good group. Go um, check them all out. You got to find There's got to be stuff out there somewhere, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's definitely, there's a, well, I know there's a Curb Jaw 7 inch because it's in my 7 inch collection. Oh. But, and I believe I have a Doc Hopper shirt somewhere. I should rip that thing out. Dude. And props to uh, everyone we talked about in the interview. Good friend. David Parker, who works with them at the Ale and Witch, and who was my bass player for about a decade. Uh, Fid, who's, you know, been in a million bands, but currently, you know, manning the bass for uh, Doc Hopper and his band Hat Rabbits. And mm-hmm. then uh, Mikey Erg, of course, playing mm-hmm. the drums. Mikey Erg seems to make an appearance in every band that's existed <laughs> yes. on the face of the earth. Yes. That's kind of the joke. Absolutely. He's like maybe the busiest man in punk rock. So uh, props to all that crew. And uh, and of course, the gentleman himself. And Chris Pierce, the gentleman. Oh, and the Norton. Yeah, yeah. that's right. <laughs> <laughs> you talk, literally talk them off a mountain, it sounds like. Which <laughs> that's is, amazing. It's nice. So, and uh, thanks to our Patreons. Yes, sticking um, with us through this. St- sticking with us through all this stuff. We got some. Good interviews coming up and, uh, you know, we got our weekly chat or discord chat. We got some whatever, you know, content on there. <laughs> what kind of content, Brad? You've been putting content up. Uh, it's been a little lean of late, but you know, we do, you get a, I mean, you get early releases when that's possible and commercial free. Um, mm. there's a lot of old content up there, mostly when we were able to take interesting videos but there's still some good bonus stuff from recent episodes so good if you like the show and you want more for some fucking reason it's there oh, <laughs> oh. self-deprecation gotta will get, get the you merch going we don't have the merch nowhere <laughs> yeah what happened to that merch idea yeah it's it's still percolating brad <laughs> this is supposed to be the like the engineer is the one who's supposed to do stuff like this you're right? right the geek like, yeah, you're the geek. All like, right, you're the one. get some shirts. You're, supp- you're supposed to be taking care of this. All right, well, let's get out of here. Yeah. Let's skedaddle. 
Everybody have a great week. Good to see you. See you next time. Bye. Yeah!